all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're going to be talking about healthy sleep and some tips to help you get that and also why it's important. If you have a question or a comment for us, now's a great time to go ahead and give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 Or you can always email me. It's fit at mpbonline.org. All right. I wanted to spend some time really talking about sleep. Um, We've done some different shows on sleep and had some different content related around sleep, but it remains one of the biggest areas in our life that we can target to help achieve multiple health-related goals that we have out there. So I want to start with, when I say healthy sleep, I'm talking about a couple of things. I'm talking about the right quantity of sleep, so the right amount, and the right quality of your sleep. And so what I'm going to be talking about for the majority of the show is sleep in an adult, okay, so not within the context of of pediatrics, um, but for adults, how much sleep we should be getting. And the answer to that is between seven to nine hours. So you often kind of hear that catch all eight hours of sleep. Well, that falls right in the middle of those two numbers. And so that's why you often hear that. But when we look at all of the available data out there on sleep, and we look at what produces the best overall health, of someone, so mental functioning, um, you know, job performance, as well as health of our body, it's between that seven to nine hours. Less than seven, we start to see some some problems and some deficits, and more than nine, we also start to see um, some issues with that as well. So when we, you know, I, I say it's a, an area that we need to work on, and when we really look at how many people are are getting the right amount of sleep, about 30%, really about 28%, um, so to speak, of adults get less than seven hours of sleep a night. So we know that that puts us at risk for the development of medical problems um, when we sleep less than seven hours. So it's almost a third of our adults are not getting 
enough sleep. And I know some of you may be out there thinking, well, you know, I get six and a half and I feel fine. Right. So what what's the big deal? Well, the, the first part of it is you may think you feel fine, but chronic sleep deprivation, our body kind of starts to adapt to that. And we don't recognize how um, fatigued we are in t- not just physical fatigue, but mental fatigue. Um, sleep has a lot of reparative qualities to it. And one of them is um, Im- improvement in cognition and memory. And so we, we can look at folks that are sleep deprived and they often have problems recalling facts or retaining things that they have learned. And so if you're a student out there or you're the parent of a student, um, looking at sleep is one of those ways that we can help capitalize on on doing well from an academic performance because it helps promote um, retention of things that we learn. Um, it also helps just with that um, kind of mental clarity um, piece and attention, right? The less sleep we have, the... Um, more trouble we have with attention, even if we don't necessarily realize it. So there's that kind of one piece of it. What about, you know, kind of heart and and metabolic health? And does sleep play a role in that? Absolutely. So um, sleep, again, sleep less than um, less than adequate, less than seven hours. Um, can increase the risk of obesity by 21%. Now, if you're a super short duration sleeper, um, about five to six hours of sleep, it can double the risk of obesity. And we'll talk about why that is a little little further in the show, and I'll kind of walk you through how sleep impacts those things. But it's important to just kind of start thinking about why that is. Also increases the risk of stroke by about 22%, um, increases the risk of diabetes by 25%, and increases the risk of coronary heart disease. So heart disease are those arteries um, feeding the heart by 35%, 35%. So it plays a large role in what we like to kind of lump together and call cardiometabolic health. So your heart and your metabolic system. If we focus in just on the heart, right? Because heart disease is the number one um, cause of death for men and women globally. Um, Focusing in on all the aspects of our lifestyle that can affect heart health is crucially important. And so one of the things, one of the reasons why this can happen, why it can increase the risk of stroke and heart disease and, and those kinds of things is because sleep deprivation in essence causes an overactive sympathetic nervous system which makes us have higher levels of adrenaline adrenaline's a good thing if we're running from something um, but for it just to be kind of elevated um, when and not needed can cause some sustainable rise in blood pressure um, and increase that risk of high blood pressure uh, by about 20 or 30%. And we see this even more in 
women, right? Um, it also, um, when we look at sleep duration, folks that sleep less than six hours a night um, have the highest risk of heart attacks, right? So again, that's looking at the sleep, just the sleep duration. And we'll talk about sleep quality some more as well. Um, when we're talking about why it increases um, the risk for things like diabetes, um, it has a lot to do with some of the hormones that are controlled by sleep. And if you've listened to the show before, you know, I've talked about things like ghrelin and leptin. And those are what are kind of lumped together and called hunger hormones. And ghrelin, you can think of like a gremlin, and that's how I picture him in my head or how I explain him to patients, is he's this little angry gremlin that triggers our appetite. He just wants to munch up all the things. Okay? And leptin kind of counterbalances that and decreases our appetite. So when we have poor sleep, we actually have less leptin and more ghrelin. So more gremlins, bigger appetite. And when you look at what people have an appetite for when they're in this sleep-deprived state, it is for simple carbohydrates. So things like um, uh, you know, sugary items, sugary beverages, um, cookies, cakes, um, even chips, anything like that that's going di to digest quickly and give you kind of a quick burst of energy. And if we're trying to control uh, or promote heart health, those are not the foods that are going to push us closer to having a healthy heart. A um, couple of other hormones that can then come into play, growth hormone is one of those. Um, and growth hormone, while it sounds like it's just there to help us grow and mature, and if we're an adult, we should be we should be grown. And it's true that growth hormone does play a role of that, especially in children. When we look about look at growth hormone in um, people who are sleep deprived, it can affect how our muscles recover after um, a workout, but it also can lower insulin. Um, growth hormone lowers insulin levels. And so if we've got a, a deficiency in growth hormone because of this poor sleep, then our insulin levels stay a little bit higher than we would like for them to be. And higher insulin levels often lead to being hungrier. We want to have more food on board. Um, and it also, uh, poor sleep can cause rises in cortisol. And if you're familiar with the word cortisol at all, you may kind of think about it as the stress hormone, and that is true. Um, but it also impairs insulin sensitivity. So if I combine lowered insulin sensitivity and higher insulin levels, that's a perfect storm for the development of type 2 diabetes. So I hope that you can see kind of through all that. I know it was a lot of talk about hormones and these different kinds of things, but the take home there is that poor sleep wreaks havoc, not only on your um, ability to uh, pay attention to things, your ability to remember and think through complex situations, but it also affects your heart's ability to be able um, to, to work effectively and triggers off a, a hormonal cascade that really sets you up for failure if you're trying to get better control of your blood pressure, your blood sugar, or lose some weight. 
I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner and associate professor of preventive medicine at UMMC. And we're talking about healthy sleep today, how much you need, why you need to be trying to get that, and some strategies for doing so. If you have a question about sleep health, or if you're having trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, I'd love to talk with you today. Or if you have a uh, trick that has worked for you to get and maintain healthy sleep, our number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464. And we do have a caller, Christian from Meridian. Good morning. How can we help you today? Hey, uh, good morning. Glad to be on the show. Um, so recently, I've been having some problems with restless leg syndrome. It seems mm. super random. I've been waking up sometimes in the middle of the night or before I even go to bed. It just seems like I cannot get rid of this, you know, that horrible sensation. Do you have any tips for preventing it? Or yeah, absolutely. Have you have that? you have you seen anybody for it yet? I've not. Okay. The first step is going to be to get just a, a medical evaluation because there can be some um, medical causes for that. Like uh, low iron levels will sometimes cause restless leg syndrome um, as well as like thyroid issues. So that would kind of be the first okay. step is to rule out some type of you know treatable medical condition um, that we have for that. The next would probably be a sleep of evaluation to see if that's the only type of sleep disorder that you have going on. So like um, in this case, I would recommend an in-lab sleep study. There there are two kinds. There's a home sleep study, which is very attractive because you get to stay home and do it. Uh, And then there's the in-lab. The the home sleep study They don't have kind of the sensors on our muscles and those kinds of things, as well as um, brainwave activity so that we can really see your sleep staging and how much your muscles are moving. So probably the in-lab one is going to be best there. And then if all of the, um, uh, you know, everything comes out fine on on blood work and it's just restless Mm -hmm. leg, then usually a medication is going to be indicated to help um, treat some of that. But setting yourself up for a healthy sleep routine um, is also going to help in that situation as well. So first step, let's figure out what's causing it, and then we can go from there. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving me a call. 
And restless leg syndrome is kind of one of the, the top four types of sleep disorders that um, that you that are most commonly seen in clinical practice. Uh, one is going to be obstructive sleep apnea. Then you're going to have uh, insomnia, narcolepsy, and restless leg um, syndrome. So um, good question there. So we talked about how many hours of sleep we need to get. We talked about why it's important. But why do we sleep? Like what? What makes us sleep? It, it's probably not something that we spend a whole lot of time thinking about, right? Um, but it is not not quite a passive process. There are steps that we can do to help with that. But in essence, there uh, are kind of two pathways. One um, kind of is the sleep drive, what, what feeds our sleepiness, and the other is our internal clock. And we'll talk about both of those, but we do have a question in studio from Michelle. How can I help you, Michelle? Hey, Josie. I hey. miss you in the studio. I haven't seen you in so long. <laughs> I know. I'm ready to get back in there. I know. My question is about melatonin. Um, okay. For years, and I am saying for years, <laughs> I've been taking melatonin. Um, the quick dissolve one, the regular kind, um, I am very busy, and so I do use that to go to sleep. If you, t- well, my question is, if you take melatonin too often or too much, does it uh, diminish your natural ability to sleep, and what are the effects of long-term melatonin use? Oh, that's a great one. And a very utilized supplement, right? So it's very easy to get over the counter. Um, What makes melatonin, what can make melatonin a problem is that it comes in a wide variety of dosages. um, And there's not a whole lot of uh, direction on how much to take, right? And so first of all, melatonin is what is considered the, the sleep hormone. It has to deal with that internal clock that I mentioned a minute ago. Um, and melatonin is released in response to um, darkness. So when the sun is out or lights are, are constantly being directed at us, um, that keeps our melatonin suppressed. So a lot of people think about melatonin as a as a sleeping pill, but it doesn't actually induce sleep. It just kind of jumpstarts your release of melatonin because once it gets dark, you should start to release some. So melatonin is best used actually for people who are shift workers. And so who are trying to sleep at a time of the day when, when our body would normally say, Hey, you're not supposed to be asleep right now because it's light outside. Um, or for folks that are traveling across time zones and are trying to kind of reset that internal clock, so to speak. Uh, but some people find it helpful to use, um, uh, you know, on a more routine basis, just to help with, um, sleep onset. Um, I usually encourage people not to choose, dosages higher than 10 milligrams. I really don't like them higher than five milligrams and start with the lowest possible dose there is. Um, There's a 0.1, there's a 0.5, especially in our um, older folks, like uh, 65 and older, I would start very, very low um, as melatonin hangs around um, in their system a little bit longer. But if you use super large dosages of melatonin, um, it can actually kind of cause you to have uh, vivid dreams or nightmares. Um, It can cause kind of uh, continued hangover drowsiness the next day, chronic headaches. 
Um, it can also cause nausea, dizziness, those kinds of things. So I would much rather see us um, try to support a healthy, uh, the healthy release of your melatonin um, through some different strategies that we'll talk about uh, during the show to help you release your melatonin more naturally um, and, and not rely so much on the over-the-counter melatonin there. So you can absolutely have too much. Um, so start low, and, and I usually don't recommend anything over 10 milligrams. All right, we've got another caller on the line, Bill from Louisiana. Hi, Bill. What can I do for you today? Hey, general question. Can the yeah. quantity of sleep help make up for the quality of sleep? In other words, if, can, will sleeping longer make up for sleeping poorly? Um, not usually. It all depends on how long that first um, kind of set of sleep is. So if you're waking up every hour to two hours, but your sleep event is lasting 10 or 12 hours, it, it, it's not going to be good kind of healthy quality sleep there. If you're sleeping, you know, five or six hours and then kind of going back to sleep and sleeping a little bit longer, maybe, but in general, no, it's not like a bank where you can just kind of store it up. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Which is so funny because I was called a sleep camel in college. Like I was just storing it away, um, like the camels store water. Um, but that's just, that's unfortunately not how it works uh, because you progress through different stages of sleep and it, and sleep happens in a cycle. So a lot of times people think that you go to sleep and you just start dreaming and you just progress on um, through that. And it's really a cycle where you go into light sleep then a little bit deeper sleep, then back to uh, light sleep, then back to deeper sleep onto another deeper sleep and they cycle. And each sleep cycle takes about 90 minutes or so. And you, the stages of lighter sleep get shorter and the stages of longer sleep, uh, deeper sleep get longer as those cycles progress throughout the night. All right, let's go ahead and take this next caller and then we'll take a break. We'll talk with Amber. Good morning, Amber. Where are you calling from today? Good morning. I am here in Brandon, Mississippi. All right. Well, what can we do for you today, Amber? Well, actually, my husband was driving and said, you need to call this place now. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, what can we help you with? Uh, well, I was listening as I was waiting. So I kind of got a little bit of what you're uh, referring to in regards to the sleep. I don't sleep. I okay. pretty much can fall asleep right away, and then within maybe an hour and a half, two hours, I'm up, and I can go, I can lay my head back down, but it's not peaceful, it's not restful, okay. I can hear a leaf fall, <laughs> and okay. um, yeah, so not really sure what to do, and then all of a sudden, when I do want to sleep, it is time to get up. So by 6 o'clock, from 6 to about 8 o'clock, I could sleep completely fine. Like, that's when I want to sleep. Mm -hmm. But I got to get up. So. Do, uh, you go ahead and get up then? Yes. Yes, okay. ma'am. Do you take a nap? With a little nudge from him. No. No. Okay. I make sure I don't take naps. Okay. Okay. And this is an ongoing problem. Like you've had this for years and years, or this is a new it's problem. It's been pretty much my whole life. Okay. Yeah. 
So, and have you ever seen a sleep specialist or, or talked with anyone about this? No, ma'am. I have okay. not. Okay. Well, there can be a variety of things that are going on, right? There could be some type of, of sleep disorder going on, like a sleep mm-hmm. apnea or a restless leg, like we had on the caller earlier, that is waking you up, right? Um, and mm-hmm. then once you're awake, you're having trouble going back to sleep. So that, that would be the first kind of step is, do we have one of those types of sleep disorders that we need treatment for, right? Um, do you snore at all? No, ma'am, I don't. Okay, good. You sleep on your back or your side? Uh, side primarily. Okay, but good. I'm All kind of, of an, I'm a flipper. I do. I was going to ask you. I call uh, it a tornado. I was a yep, backside yep, belly tornado. Yeah, yep, yep. You're not alone in that. Um, so the other thing is, is the TV on? Any noise on in the bedroom? Anything like that? No, I hate that. So my husband wants to watch TV, and I'm like, do not turn that on. Do not okay. turn that on. Do not and turn it on. Yes. The white noise, but um, he has found that. Uh, you know, if, if, if the TV's on, I'm not able to even mm-hmm. hardly fall asleep. So he's been really awesome about not watching it. Okay. So it's very quiet. Good, good. No animals share in the bed, anything like that? Oh, no. No, Okay, ma'am. good. Those are all kind of low-hanging fruit on things that, that people often have that disrupt their sleep. Um, so if noise, you mentioned like you can hear a a pin drop, so to speak, and it'll kind of wake you up. Have you Pretty thought nice. about trying yeah. a white noise machine in the room? You know, I had that when my little one was born, and I mm-hmm. loved it, the mm-hmm. white noise machine. I mm-hmm. still was up, though. I could, I'm could. i still a very light, light sleeper. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I just recently uh, got remarried. I was single for a very long time, so it's been just me and my my kids so I've mm-hmm. kind of not slept ever truly in case something right they need something you know. yep yes yep. yes I yes. understand I understand that phenomenon I got two two kiddos too and you kind of always are on alert that that they might need you but that might be a strategy to try while you're waiting to get in to see you know either your primary care provider who can make a referral to a sleep clinic or a sleep provider to make sure that you don't have you know, sleep apnea, restless legs, something like that. And if it is insomnia, right, which is what it's sounding like, trouble not falling asleep but staying asleep and then going back to sleep once you wake up, um, there is a a technique called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which helps Mm -hmm. you restructure the way you think about sleep um, as well. Because you you said, I don't sleep. I'm a bad sleeper, right? And it's almost Mm -hmm. like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You kind of categorize yourself as a bad sleeper and then you manifest that (laughs) when you go to bed. So learning how to kind of stop that, that kind of negative thinking about how you sleep and your ability to sleep, as well as changes to your sleep environment and some other techniques that can help with sleep induction and maintenance, I think would probably really be a benefit um, to you there. So that would be my recommendation. Now my THS levels, um, I have massive thyroid issues. Okay. Would that affect it as well? Um, your hypothyroid? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Like and right level- now, my level is at 30. Okay. Oh, okay. So absolutely. So if if you're, I'm I'm actually seeing a bunch of specialists right now. And that's one of the things that they're looking at because yes, I do have restless legs, 
but um, I also have the insomnia Mm -hmm. and the THS level. I mean, just everything's kind of working again. It is. Like I said, come come 36 o'clock, I want to sleep. Do not bother me. That's normal. That's uh, the thing that makes us all sleep is uh, kind of a breakdown of of ATP and a rise of adenosine. And if you're not sleeping, the longer you're awake, the more of that builds up in your system until eventually you're like, I have to sleep. So, you know, that that's not surprising to me there. But, you know, I th- so absolutely, if your thyroid is messed up, that's going to lead to things like restless leg and some difficulty sleeping. So, you know, getting that seen too, which it sounds like you're doing everything appropriate there to get that taken into account. And then let's add, I would recommend adding a sleep specialist um, to okay. your, because yours is, is not like a quick fix, right? Sometimes I'm like, oh, put no the TV me. off, right? You know, or yeah. put the thermostat down or, you know, these things that are, are very easy to fix, but yours is much more complex. Does not mean it can't be fixed. Um, it can, you can get better sleep, um, but we're going to need, going to need some help. And, and the sleep specialists are the ones that would be the best person to add into your, um, to your treatment team. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Absolutely. I, I appreciate you taking the time to give me a call and you have a great rest <laughs> of your Monday. All right. If I can do you anything for you. have a beautiful blessed day. Yes, ma'am. All right. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC. And today we have been talking about healthy sleep and we've had a lot of great callers that have had a lot of great questions. And if you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring And you can always email us um, if you want more information about healthy sleep and some tips for doing that. Our email is fit at mpbonline.org. Um, we alluded to this with the last caller, um, why we sleep, right? What There are kind of two um, systems that are uh, working to, to make us fall asleep, right? One is just the, the, the sleep drive. And that's the longer that we are, uh, the longer we are awake, 
the sleepier we get. And that happens due to a buildup of adenosine in our system. Um, it's, it's a um, part of kind of burning energy. And so while we're awake, we're burning energy that's releasing and, and kind of building up. And then at some point it tips over and we get that drowsy sensation. Um, that's also one of the reasons why exercise helps with sleep because it helps us break down that ATP and the adenosine start to build up. So, you know, I'm often asked, when is the best time to exercise? And my go-to answer is usually whenever you will do it, right? Um, whenever you can make it fit into your schedule and it'll be a, a normal, healthy part of your, um, of your day. But while sleep is uh, sorry, exercise is sleep promoting exercise right before bed is, is not because it's going to kind of have the, um, you're going to get the, the physiological boost in energy that you get with exercise initially, where you've got that increased heart rate, um, your increased, um, body temperature, core body temperature, which is not really compatible with sleep. Now there's always going to be that person who says, well, I can exercise and get right in the bed and go to sleep. Um, it's the same deal for folks who say I can drink an espresso and get right in the bed and go to sleep. But statistically, when we look at it, exercise um, in the you know couple of hours right before bed is not the best option for restful sleep. But exercise um, in the earlier evening or afternoon um, can be a great tool in our kit to help us um, fall asleep easier. Um, there are also the kind of the the other part. Um, of that is our internal clock, right? So, and, and just like a clock, there are different things that are happening each hour of the day um, in our body. And in relationship to sleep, what sets that clock is the presence of lightness and darkness, right? Um, and in general, when light is the predominant uh, feature, we are awake. Melatonin is low and we are going about our uh, day. And then as evening starts to come on, the sun starts to go down, it starts to get darker until it eventually gets all the way dark and, and melatonin is released. Usually in a non-shift worker, that starts to happen somewhere but you know, around 10 to 11 p.m., so to speak. Sometimes a little bit earlier than that. But in modern times, that clock has been stomped on a little bit with technology. There is so much um, exposure to light um, outside of normal sunlight in the evening um, that it is very hard for our, our body to really realize what, what time of the day it is, right? Um, one way to help with that is morning sunshine, right? So if you can um, sit outside in the morning or take a walk outside in the morning when the sun is very bright, that starts to cue your brain that, hey, this is the real daytime, right? And it's kind of expecting nighttime to come along later. The other is as the sun starts to go down, start to dim down some of your lights in your home. If you've got a dimmer switch, start to dim some of those down or just cut off unnecessary lights so all the things are not blazing in your home. Um, if you don't have a dimmer switch, then think about cutting the big over, especially after dinner when you're starting to wind down, cut the big overhead light off, use some lamps, those kinds of things um, to help support that um, natural um, progression of that clock towards sleep. 
And then electronics, cell phones, laptops, TVs, those kinds of things, um, at least 30 minutes before um, bedtime, but ideally an hour before bedtime, start to cut those things off as well. All right, we'll go to Oxford and talk with Chelsea this morning. How can I help you? Hi there, I'm Chelsea from Oxford. I am a recovering addict, and I was wondering, with the, being a recovering addict, especially from methamphetamines and stuff, how long does it typically take for your sleep schedule to get back in track? Oh, well, you know, that's not going to be a cut and dry answer um, on that yeah. one. You know, it's going to depend on, you know, length of use, how much use, type of medications being used for um, recovery and all of those different kinds of things there. Um, what you can do is try and get yourself on as much of a routine as you possibly can, even though I heard some little kiddos, I think, in the background. So that... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they are, are schedule disruptors. They're very cute, but they do uh, throw a kink in things. But setting exactly. them up with a, you know, with a routine as much as possible as well kind of helps start to reset that clock so yeah. that it, it knows what's going on, right? So, right. Um, and kids tend to adapt more to starting to put this routine into place than than adults do. But, you know, picking two or three activities um, toward the end of the day, um, yeah. that signal that it's wind down time is one thing to start. Now, I don't know how old the kiddos are. A lot of times. Um, yeah, I have know, a kids, four-year-old. Yeah. So his bedtime is <laughs> earlier than yours, I would imagine. Um, yeah, his and, bedtime is about 7, 30, 8 o'clock. Yes. And so oftentimes what I see happen with folks is when the rest of the household kind of goes to go, goes to bed, the other individual goes ahead and gets gets in the bed, even if it's not like sleepy time. They yeah. go ahead and get in the bed and watch TV or use scroll on their phone, do those kinds of things. And that makes it really, really hard for our body to, to set up. Um, kind of the feedback that it needs that it's time for bed. So yeah. if if he goes down at 730, you know, and your bedtime is not till 10, then don't get in the bed until you're ready to go to bed. Because right? okay. it's, it's going to make it harder um, for you to get on a sleep habit. So, I mean, don't jump up and down and, and you know, run a marathon in your house. Still go right. through your, your wind down procedure, but maybe you sit in the living room and, you know, read a book or something like that. But don't get in the bed until you're ready to go to sleep because right. it really just throws schedules off and throws the cues that you're looking at um, that tell you it's time to sleep off there. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device 
or on our website at legalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for joining me today here on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC. And we've been talking about healthy sleep today. We've had lots of great callers. And we've talked about how much sleep we need, why we need to sleep. We've even talked about some of the sleep disorders that are out there. And I do want just one more little plug in for you know seeing a sleep specialist and, and um, getting evaluated for a sleep disorder um, before I get on to my, my favorite tips. Um, sleep apnea is much more common than we give it credit for. Um, about one in five adults has at least a mild form of obstructive sleep apnea. And what we can actually see, a lot of times the patients will come to me and I ask about their sleep and they'll say, well, you know, I fall asleep fine, but I wake up multiple times at night to go to the bathroom to pee. And we often equate that to, you know, fluids before bed, caffeine, um, uh, prostate issues, and those are all valid concerns. Those all can be an issue, but sleep apnea can actually be a contributing factor to this nighttime urination as well. When our airway is narrowed with sleep apnea, our lungs actually have to expand more to take in more air, um, and that kind of puts extra pressure on the heart, and that actually signals the kidneys to urinate. So if you're waking up multiple times to go to the bathroom, especially if you snore or you have high blood pressure, those kinds of things, it is worth having a discussion with your healthcare provider about the potential for sleep apnea. All right, we've got time for one last caller. We'll talk to Beth on the road. Hello, Beth. Hi there. Um, I, uh, my husband was in the hospital and I was coming home about five, a couple days ago and went to sleep in the car. Mm. It is not, it is not the first time, but, Mm -hmm. and I, and I walked away from the wreck, but what are my next Uh, I mean, immediately you need to be seeing a sleep provider um, to get a sleep study. First of all, we don't we want you to not drive, um, especially if you've not had a good restful night of sleep. But that is that's kind of the first thing is to kind of take yourself away from the situation that could be deadly. Right. right? Um, And then um, get evaluated to see what is causing you um, to fall asleep like that. Um, Usually that's going to be a bigger situation than just like a a not getting enough sleep it's usually going to be some type of sleep disorder or something like that that's keeping you from getting good restful sleep as well you mentioned your husband was just in the hospital though that can of course disrupt sleep patterns and you know the mental fatigue from that the emotional fatigue can contribute to that um but the first step is stop driving until we figure out what's going on and then see a sleep provider so that we can rule out Um, potential causes of that and get you on the right treatment for it. Okay. And a sleep provider is what? They are. It's a a physician. Is that sleep clinic? It is. It is. It is a, a physician that is specialized in sleep medicine. A lot of them are also pulmonologists or neurologists. 
Um, but, you know, we've got a sleep medicine clinic here at UMC. Baptist does, St. Dominic's does. There are some independent ones out there as well, like Sleep Solutions is one. Um, so there are lots of options out there um, for that. I think Jackson Pulmonary does uh, does it as well. Um, so may I, you can. May I, get, may I get an appointment by just calling? And you saying, should be I'm able to. I'm do you have a primary? Right now. Or, do you have a yeah, primary care provider? I do. I do. I'd probably just call Go them and them. ask them to make a referral for you. That way they can send over your record, you know, your medical records and everything so that they will have them. Okay. All right. But work right. through my, my, my provider. I would absolutely work for it because they need to be aware as well. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I enjoyed yes, right. this program. Uh, well, thank you so much for listening and for giving us a call. All right, guys. That was a, a great, um, a great last question there. And I hope she gets, um, gets taken care of. Now, in the, just the last few minutes, I want to share a couple of my um, tips for healthy sleep. Um, and one are foods that can help with that. Um, you know, if you listen to the show regularly, um, I'm not a huge fan of supplements. I'll usually like folks to get things from food. Um, and we want to avoid big meals, but right before bed, because that usually causes a spike in insulin, which is not going to help us um, sleep well. Um, but if we do need a bedtime snack or something like that, or we're looking for things to add to our diet that help to promote sleep, that is things that are full of fiber. So when we look at the research out there about what foods help promote sleep and what foods keep us from sleeping well, things that are full of fiber help with more um, restful sleep, more hours of sleep. And things that are full of saturated fat actually cause more frequent nighttime awakenings. So that's where I wouldn't pick something like uh, cookies or ice cream for a bedtime snack, as those are going to be more disruptive um, to maintaining a, a, a restful night of sleep. Whereas things like fruits and whole grains can be um, much more helpful in um, inducing um, sleep and staying asleep. There's actually a really interesting study that I just read about kiwi fruit and folks that had two kiwis an hour before bed fell asleep easier with better quality sleep and slept for a longer duration. And kiwis are pretty readily available and don't really have a whole lot of downsides to munching on those. So that could be an option to try. Tart cherries are also another really good option or tart cherry juice, as well as things like whole grains and pistachios. Those are all full of fiber and helpful in supporting a healthy sleep pattern. The second um, or I guess last tip that I have for you is getting that room temperature cool, but helping to promote warming of your extremities. So what can be really helpful for folks that are having trouble falling asleep is wearing socks in the bed. Um, that helps to cause um, our blood vessels that are near the surface of the skin to dilate, which helps our core body temperature cool down, which helps melatonin get released so that we fall asleep easier. If you absolutely cannot fathom the thought of wearing a sock in the bed, which would be my husband, then think about an extra blanket or covering over the bottom part of the bed that will help those extremities warm up 
or a long sleeve t-shirt or pajama pants, anything that will kind of help give you that dilation of those blood vessels, that cooling of the core body temperature to support that natural release of melatonin. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.